0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, This Most Tremendous Tale of All. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, December twenty-fifth, two 2011, Christmas Day. Believers will face many familiar distractions this Christmas week. Retailers will bombard us with the lie that we can spend our way to happiness. Family gatherings will provoke stress and strain. Therapists will rightly warn us about physical, emotional, and financial overload. And one of the greatest obstacles to authentic Christian faith is sentimentality. It's hard not to dote on our angelic kids in oversized bathrobes and shepherds with towels for turbans. These distractions, though, are child's play compared to a far more fundamental stumbling block, the stupendous Christmas claim itself, that in the words of 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. Authentic faith requires genuine astonishment, astonishment of the sort that appreciates the borderlands disbelief. In his book, A Public Faith, 2011, the Yale theologian Miroslav Wolf tells how the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor once heard Mother Teresa explain why she served the poor. She often complained, people say we're social workers. We're not social workers. We're Christians who worship Jesus as Lord and therefore serve people made in the image of God. Taylor, who was a practicing Catholic, thought to himself, I could have said that too. And then, upon further reflection, Taylor then wondered, but could I have meant it? It's easy enough to confess a creed. That's what we do, especially at Christmas. But with Taylor... I ask myself, do I mean it? Annie Dillard laments how casually we make our Christmas confession. In her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, she writes, does anyone have the foggiest idea of what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews for the sleeping god may awake some day and take offense or the waking god may draw us to where we can never return and then there's the britain's poet laureate john betjeman 1906 to 1984 who was a practicing anglican he likewise held his confessional feet to the intellectual fire in the first five stanzas of his poem Christmas, Benjamin describes sweet and silly Christmas things, like saying, The church looks nice, syrupy greetings like, Merry Christmas to you all, and what he describes as hideous gifts like bath salts and cheap perfume. Then, in his last three stanzas, Benjamin ups the ante about as high as it can go. Listen to the last three stanzas of his poem, Christmas. And is it true, this most tremendous tale of all, Seen in a stained glass window's hue, A baby in an ox's stall? The maker of the stars and sea, Become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and expensive scent, and hideous ties so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air. Nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. Some people reject the Christmas story as false, observes Kevin Gardner in his book Faith and Doubt of John Betjeman. Even though they might wish it was true. I'm reminded, for example, of the British writer Julian Barnes, who admitted that while he doesn't believe in God, he still misses him. Benjamin, on the other hand, affirmed his faith, albeit with candor about the stupendous claim being made. The church does many things, sometimes poorly and sometimes well. Intellectual inquiry, for example, moral development, community building, peacemaking, interfaith dialogue and alliance, hospitals and schools for those without them, art, music, and care for the poor. But none of these are unique to the church. You can find them all in many other places. What separates the church from all these other worthy pursuits is its liturgical confession that Jesus, the Christ child, is Lord. And so every Sunday, to take just one example, our priests raise the bright red gospel book high above their heads as they process down the center aisle. And after placing the book on the altar, they prostrate themselves before the mystery For the gospel reading, they then repeat this act in reverse, processing back down the aisle into the middle of the congregation, at which point we all pivot toward the gospel and together confess, Glory to you, Lord Christ. If you did that with a volume of Shakespeare, people would think you're nuts. And we too are nuts to do what we do, and say what we say every Sunday, unless, as Benjamin wrote, we're confessing an incomparable truth that invites us not just to honor Jesus, but to bow down and worship him. And after considering whether the earliest believers were deceived or deceiving, you decide whether you too can make that ancient confession Matthew's birth narrative describes a series of five dreams to tell this stupendous story. Luke appeals to the Spirit-inspired songs of Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon. John incorporates Greek philosophy about the Logos, connecting creation in Genesis with redemption in Jesus. In the beginning God created. In the beginning was the Word. What God lovingly created, he will assuredly redeem. This week, week, many of us will sing the old and anonymous Latin Christmas carol, Good Christians All Rejoice. With its words, ox and ass before him bow, And he is in the manger now. Christ is born today, Christ is born today. But the Gospels never mention animals at the manger, even though they became common in the art and iconography of the Nativity. How did the animals enter the story? What do they signify? The earliest mention of animals at the Nativity is the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew from the 8th century. Listen to this passage from the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew. And on the third day after the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, Mary went out of the cave and, entering the stable, placed the child in a manger, and an ox and an ass adored him. Then was fulfilled that which was said by the prophet Isaiah, the ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib. Therefore, The animals, the ox and the ass, with him in their midst, incessantly adored him. Then was fulfilled that which was said by Habakkuk the prophet, saying, Between two animals you are made manifest. Others credit St. Francis of Assisi with creating the first manger scene with live animals. Even more interesting is a Christian sarcophagus from 4th century Rome that depicts an ox and ass worshiping the Christ child. By the 16th century, it's hard to find a manger scene without the animals. The silent witness of these brute animals challenges us today to make our own confession this year. And with Charles Taylor, to ask ourselves, whether we really mean it. This most tremendous tale of all, for Christmas Sunday. For books this week, I review Sarah Centiel's, the title, Breaking Up With God, A Love Story, New York, HarperCollins, 2011, 244 pages. Sarah Centilles was in the middle of an ordination process to become an Episcopal priest and a doctoral student in theology at Harvard, when, at the age of 34, she left her Christian faith for good. It was a long time coming. In this candid memoir, she explains how and why she made that choice. There's nothing remarkable about her loss of faith, In the end, critical inquiry led to the accumulation of honest questions about important issues. If God is male, then isn't male God? And don't women lose their power to write their own stories? Children die of cancer, and the elderly lose their identity to Alzheimer's. The church is a flawed institution, which Sentiles engaged for most of her life comes off badly in her book. A two-year stint with Teach for America in urban Los Angeles, after a privileged upbringing in college at Yale, provoked disturbing questions about social justice. A major theme in her journey is her search for personal wholeness beyond her eating disorder, years of therapy, poor choices about bad men, and learning self-acceptance. Senels developed what she calls a canyon between her personal piety and her critical inquiry as a doctoral student at Harvard, as she says between the God I was in love with and the God I was studying, she could never bridge the gap between her intellectual version of God and her personal version of God. There was also another disconnect between quote, the theology I studied in school and the theology being practiced in the pews and preached from the pulpit by the priests on staff, which was enormous. Everything I took for granted was absent, even heretical. On Sunday, Centilles no longer goes to church. She goes to the farmer's market. At the end of the book, she writes, This is a kind of faith for me. After all the important questions that she's rightly raised, too many things done, too many terrible things done in his name, too much suffering in the world, too much violence, too many disasters. This is where she leaves us. At least her feeble conclusion gives her pause. She writes, really? You're going to end your book about God with the farmer's market? Yes, I'm going to end my book about God with the farmer's market. Buying farm-fresh eggs and eating vegetarian is noble, but they're a poor follow-on for her rigorous inquiry about faith in Dell. I look forward to her next book about faith after the farmer's market. Sarah Centiel's Breaking up with God. For film this week, I review Revenge of the Electric Car, 2011. What a difference five years make. Director Chris Payne ended his 2006 documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? with the belief that technological innovation and customer common sense cannot be thwarted forever. So now, to speak about the revenge of the electric car might be premature, but Payne's sequel shows that it's definitely returned. Most of his interviews in this documentary focus on three big players, old school Bob Lutz of GM, who now admits that, quote, the electrification of the automobile is a foregone conclusion, end quote, entrepreneur Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla electric sports cars, and then Nissan's swashbuckling CEO, Carlos Goshen. He also considers a man named Gadget, who converts gas guzzlers into EVs. There have been problems aplenty, like the collapse of the economy, the bankruptcy of GM, high prices, sluggish sales, battery life, and the driving range for electric vehicles. But none of this stops the cheerleading. And for the record, the Chevy Volt was Motor Trend's 2011 Car of the Year, and the Nissan Leaf was Europe's 2011 Car of the Year. One question about this nice film, why is there not a single mention of Prius? Revenge of the Electric Car And finally, for poetry, for Christmas Sunday, we've posted a poem by G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton lived from 1874 to 1936. The title of the poem, The House of Christmas. There fared a mother driven forth out of an inn to Rome. In the place where she was homeless, all men are at home. This crazy stable close at hand, with shaking timber and shifting sand, Grew a stronger thing to abide and stand than the square stones of Rome. For men are homesick in their homes, and strangers under the sun, and they lay on their heads in a foreign land whenever the day is done. Here we have battle and blazing eyes, and chance and honor and high surprise, but our homes are under miraculous skies where the Yule Tale was begun. A child in a foul stable where the beasts feed and foam. Only where he was homeless are you and I at home. We have hands that fashion and heads that know. But our hearts we lost how long ago. In a place no chart nor ship can show. Under the sky's dome. This world is wild as an old wives' tale, and strange the plain things are. The earth is enough, and the air is enough, for our wonder and our war. But our rest is as far as the fire drake swings, and our peace is put in impossible things. where clashed and thundered, unthinkable wings round an incredible star. To an open house in the evening, home shall shall men come. To an older place than Eden, in a taller town than Rome. To the end of the way of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be and that are. To the place where God was homeless, all men are at home. The House of Christmas by G.K. Chesterton. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, December 25th, 2011, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.